everyone. Welcome to another episode of Orange Juice Optional. And before we get started, I would just like to say that I hate technology. It has been a morning. So with that, I'll bring in Suzanne. Hey, Suzanne, how are you? And I couldn't agree with you more. I'm doing okay, except I hate technology as well. It's, you know, it's great when it works, but when it doesn't work, it's the most frustrating thing on the planet. Yes. I'm right there with you. I am very good with technology as long as everything is running smoothly. But as soon as something comes up, I get super frustrated and want to throw my computer. Yes. And over the weekend, I was trying to print some things out. I have two printers in the house and I could not get either one of these printers to work over the weekend. And I was trying to get some work done for a client that I have and, uh, I spent hours trying to figure out these stupid computers or printers. I mean, it's like, what a waste of my time. I'm just laughing a little bit because a lot of times technology is user error. This morning, it wasn't. This morning, I think it was actually a problem with uh, the server that hosts this website or not website, this podcast. This podcast. Yep. I agree because both of us had full internet service and we could get onto other websites, but this one was unresponsive for a short amount of time. It's up and running now. Maybe they had like scheduled maintenance we didn't know about or something. Could be, but yeah. So, so yeah, that just contributed to my already cranky mood (laughs) that I'm in. I didn't introduce the episode with your cranky mood because I was hoping to move away from that. I know. And I'm working on it. I thought what better way to get out of my cranky mood than to record a podcast with you. That should help. Yeah, that hopefully will help. And I'll share a technology story from yesterday that was actually user error, meaning my error <laughs> or my faux pas. So um, yesterday up in Anchorage, uh, we had a wedding reception, an Alaska wedding reception for Jimmy and Eva. And the weather was beautiful. The weather cooperated. Lots of people showed up. And towards the end of the reception, I got a FaceTime call from my son, Colton, who was one of the two best men. So because I'm at the reception, I'm sure that he's calling just because he wants to be a part of it. I FaceTime him back and he's like, oh, hi, mom. Sorry, I didn't really mean to call you. Oh, (laughs) okay. Well, you did call me. And since you did, maybe you want to say hi to everybody at the reception. So <laughs> I take the phone over and he's saying hi to everybody. And he's like, okay, but it really, you know, mom was a, a, a butt dial. And I said, okay, I'll hang up with you now. Well, I obviously didn't hang up the call correctly because I started talking about him oh, <laughs> to Jimmy no. and some of the other people. Uh-oh. And he's like, mom, I'm still here. I can hear everything you're saying. And so, uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate that. Yes. But it wasn't anything bad. It was just kind of like, oh yeah. The only time he calls me is when he butt dials or something like that. I mean, right. something stupid, but he's like, I'm still here. I can hear everything you're saying. <laughs> Well, and I've learned this with FaceTime and we use Google Duo a lot when we do our family calls with my grandson. And, you know, as easy as it should be to hang up, it's not always that clear cut. And it probably is user error because I've learned how to disconnect. But sometimes it will still be connected when you think you've hung up. And you can always tell because there's that little green or blue box up in the corner of your phone that says you're still connected, even though you thought you've hung up. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but that used to happen to me all the time. And it's like, dang it. Well, I assume when I hit the little red X or whatever it is to disconnect, it disconnects. But about the time he started like saying, hey, I'm still here, I see the green or the blue in the, the corner. I'm like, oops, he's still on. But he let us all know he was still on. Yeah. He's not a quiet child by any means <laughs> or a quiet man, adult now because they they do grow up. <laughs> they do. That's for sure. So what do you think you want to talk about today? What is on your mind? I want to talk about something that's totally benign, something that doesn't get me riled up, something that keeps me just in a neutral state. And, you know, it's Olympic season. So I thought we could talk about 
sports in general and how we feel about it and what our favorite events are and if we've been watching, if we haven't been watching. What do you think? I think you're going to be doing a lot of talking during this episode. (laughs) You're not an Olympics person. I'm not an Olympics person. I have some things I can say about sports to contribute, but why don't we start with the Olympics because that is current right now. Right. Going on as we speak. So why don't you? So I don't know how it was in your house when your kids were growing up, but in my house, even when I was a kid, when the Olympics came on, that's all that we watched. It was Olympics, Olympics, Olympics. But I have two boys and my husband who are all three sports fanatics. And Jeff, especially, he went to University of Oregon. So he loves the track and field events because Oregon has such a great track and field reputation. And he just loves track and field. So, which I'm like, eh, you know, watching people run in a loop around a track eh, doesn't do much for me. So I feel like I've grown up with the Olympics whenever it's on. And I tolerate it because my husband loves it and my boys love it. So we watch it. But here I am alone in Scottsdale, Arizona, and my husband's out fishing. My boys are out fishing in Alaska. And you know what? I just haven't been watching much. I watch the gymnastics, but the time difference is kind of weird because like I turn on prime time to watch the Olympics and gymnastics will be just ending. It's like, well, dang it, I missed what I wanted to watch. So that's my take on the Olympics this summer. So did your your boys ever watch the Olympics? Not really. I, I honestly have to say that I know it's something that people get excited about and cheer about and they look forward to, which I always am excited about an Olympic year, but I don't really watch much of what goes on. If I'm being perfectly honest, which I always try to be, the Olympics I remember. Yeah, it would be right after graduating high school that first year in college. I remember going to a party and their Olympics being on. When Cameron was born, it was during the 1994 Olympics, the Winter Olympics, which were Lilyhammer. Is that where they were? Oh, God. Okay, that you're going way too deep in detail for me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you where any of the Olympics are except for the current Olympics. <laughs> well, the only reason I say so is the hot or the big story of the Olympics was actually an incident that happened right before it was the Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding incident. Oh, Yes. So that foreshadowed that. So that really brought everybody's attention to ice skating, which I do love watching ice skating, I will say. And I have watched that. And the other time I can remember is many years back, Winter Olympics, going to Bradley House, which is a restaurant up here in Anchorage and watching the opening ceremonies there. But... Did you notice, Suzanne, I just said was a restaurant in Anchorage? Did you know it just closed? I heard that it just closed, which is a shame. Well, and often one of my tangents that I always go off on, that was one of the hardest things for me to deal with when I was in Anchorage visiting after not being there for two years is the amount of businesses that have closed in Anchorage, including restaurants that you honestly thought they were going to be there forever, that they were cemented in the city and they're gone and they closed. And Bradley House is one of them. It's been around for a long time and it's sad to see it go. It sure is. And, you know, lots of restaurants up here in Anchorage are having a staffing issue, which I'm sure is the case everywhere. They can't get people to work. And so hours are reduced and they're just doing everything they can to make it work. So I know. Anyhow, getting back to the Olympics. Yeah, it is a very, it is a shame. Those are the three I really remember. And interestingly enough, they're all around Winter Olympics. Although I do remember Greg Luganis, the diver, hitting his head. Oh, right. I remember that. Cutting it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to date myself, which, you know, I'm not really dating myself because everyone already knows how old I am. But I remember the highlights of the Olympic years I remember is I remember the incident. Okay, it was in Berlin, where there were, okay, I just remember hostages, and I remember guns. And it was 
distracting from the rest of the Olympics. And I think that was a summer Olympics. Well, and back in- It was, I think. I remember hearing about that or watching a documentary on that. Yeah. And I want to say that was like 1972 or 1976. I'm not exactly sure. But I also remember Mark Spitz, the swimmer, before Michael Phelps. He held the record for gold medals until- Michael Phelps came along in swimming. And I remember the year we watched him race. And that had to be 1976, maybe 72 or 76 as well, because I remember watching it with my dad. My dad loved the Olympics. And I remember Olga Corbett, who was a gymnast before Nadia Comaneci. And that had to have been 1976 as well. And she was a phenomenal gymnast at the time. And then Nadia Comaneci was the first um, gymnast to score 10s in her routines. So I always loved the gymnastics. And then Greg Luganis, I remember when he hit the diving board. I love diving. That's one of the sports that I love to watch, but they don't show it very often. You know, it's usually on at obscure times. Speaking of diving, Rob and I yesterday went to brunch and women's diving was on. And something must have happened because Rob was like, oh my gosh, did you see that? Now, I was so oblivious and my mind was so set on what was going on later in the day. I didn't register, but this morning when I woke up and I was talking to him about this podcast subject, he has said, remember the diver yesterday? I'm like, no, I wasn't watching. I, I don't remember. He said that it was, I think, a Canadian diver who went to do the jump and then forgot what she was doing and ended up going in feet first. Like she was just jumping off a diving board or something. I didn't see the incident. So I don't know exactly what happened, but we were just talking about diving and that popped into my mind. (laughs) Interesting. Well, I wonder if she got the same thing that happened to Simone Biles. And I can't remember. I know, of course, I can't remember what they call it, but there's an actually a thing that they refer to when you kind of lose your train of thought in the middle of your routine. And she said that's what's happened to her is her mind and her body aren't connecting. And so she is losing her train of thought when she's trying to do the vault. And so it mixes her up. And I guess that's a phenomenon among athletes. So I wonder if that's what happened to the Canadian diver, if she had the same experience. That wouldn't surprise me at all because there is a huge connection between mind, body, and spirit. And, you know, just all being in the same place at once, I mean, that's got to be a challenge because in anything you do, you have to be mentally strong and prepared. Like I know when I do things, I'm going through it in my mind and then the body has to cooperate with that. And then the heart and everything has to be in there. It's amazing. (laughs) Everything that goes into performing. It is. And you think about the distractions that she must, Simone, I'm referring to, must be dealing with this year because of all of the attention she has gotten from the media. And I thought about that even a couple weeks before the Olympics. I thought, I mean, it had become the Simone Biles show and everything was about Simone Biles. And I did wonder, it's like, how do those athletes handle that kind of attention when they're trying to stay focused and do their sport, when everyone's trying to get an interview with them, when they're answering the same questions over and over? And obviously, sometimes they they break, you know, sometimes it snaps for them, and it probably does affect their focus for their competition. I can only imagine the pressure that she was feeling leading up to the event, the performance anxiety, like not to be TMI or anything, but sometimes I feel pressure when I have to go pee and then I get like pee anxiety. Okay. I know it's a little much to talk about, but it's true. And that's just one other person waiting in the bathroom or something to use the stall next. Okay. You know, what's so funny about this and so ironic, and I actually just sent this to my kids. Okay. And this is so off topic, but it's so true because I have that same anxiety. And my doctor once years ago, I mentioned it to him that it's hard for me to use public restrooms. And for whatever reason, my bladder can be bursting. And I can go into a public restroom and sometimes it 
things just don't work. And he said, you have a shy bladder. And I laughed and I said, okay, I'll accept that. Okay. So I just saw an article about that, that this is a real condition that people. It really is. I know. I didn't know that. I thought my doctor was kidding. And it's funny because, okay, my kids would kill me if I said this, but growing up, they all had the same condition. I think they've all outgrown it. But it was one of those things that none of us liked public bathrooms and we never used them. You know, we'd always wait until we'd get back to a hotel room if we were traveling. The, the kids would always wait until they got home from school because it never seems to work <laughs> in a public bathroom. The things you have to do don't happen. <laughs> and and this is a it. real thing. And I have it. I have it. And sometimes I'll be with my kids. And this is why I brought my kids into this, because sometimes I'll be with my kids and I'll say, I need to find a bathroom. And so they'll all wait for me. And then I'll come out like 10 minutes later. And then 10 minutes later, I'll say, I have to find a bathroom. And it's like, are you okay, mom? Didn't you just go? And it's like, it's my shy bladder kicking in. I can't seem to go when I need to on demand. And it was like that when I was pregnant and I'd have to give a urine sample in my doctor's office every visit. And it's like, can't do it. <laughs> I mean, I just can't bring myself to do it. Oh yeah. No, gosh, you're like bringing up, um, bad memories. I hate going to the doctor. And one of the reasons other than they're going to weigh me, which we've talked about is that they do make you pee in a cup sometimes like that type of visit. Right. Yeah. I get the shy bladder then too. And I drink so much water before I go and it's still shy. I know. And it happens to me all the time. It's like, oh, the things we learn about each other when we're doing a podcast, but... I just have to say well, the I'm shy bladder thing was, I honestly, I've gone, through, I've always said that to my kids. I just have a shy bladder. Always thinking that was a joke that my doctor said to me to say, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. But it's an actual condition. Right. And I like shy bladder better than pee anxiety because that's what <laughs> it feels like to me is when the pressure's on, it's, yeah, no, I just am like, okay. I know, but back to the Olympics. <laughs> well, let me just say one more story about that because my kids are also like that a little bit. And I remember Colton and he'll probably kill me because he listens to the podcast. He uh, would come home from school and the school bus would drop him off and then he would run to the side of the house. And I think we've talked about this before. Boys like peeing in nature and then he would pee outside. <laughs> so he'd hold it all day at school and then come and pee on the side of the house. And I used to tell him, go a little further behind the house because when the bus comes by, they can see you. <laughs> That's so funny. That is so yeah, funny. He's going to kill me, but he's older now. <laughs> yeah, he outgrew it. He outgrew the condition. I don't know about that, but yeah, but it is one of those we'll, things. We'll say but, Yeah. It's one of those things that I suffer from that condition. I always have. It's like when I'm forced to go, I can't do it. Okay, so now we can we can get back to the Olympics. And <laughs> now we can go back to the Olympics. And performance anxiety for athletes. So I think there's a lot of pressure, especially in the Olympics, on individual athletes, especially the ones that are favored to win the gold because they get so much media attention which kind of have to blame the media. You kind of have to tell the media back off, you know, let these kids perform because most of them are just kids. And it's like, let them perform and then talk to them, leave them alone until, you know, they get their opportunity to do what they're there to do. The other thing that is probably throwing, I don't want to speak for Simone Biles, don't know the poor kid, but is the difference in the Olympics this year with no fans, with being quarantined to your quarters, your room that you're staying in when you're not competing or practicing or warming up. And it's like, that's got to just be a real bummer for all of those athletes. Right. And I have heard a lot about the accommodations that the athletes are getting over there. My boys, it's so funny to hear them talk about it. I will not share everything they said, but <laughs> they felt really bad for the Olympians this year and the conditions that they'd be living in, especially their bed. Well, yeah. And I think that the whole experience is different for them than what, especially the returning athletes who have expectations of what they've had before. 
And that's got to be tough. It's a version similar to what we experienced the first time, you know, we tried to get on an airplane after COVID because, you know, there's no service and you have to wear a mask and there's the six feet of social distancing. And, you know, to think that they have expectations of the experience of the Olympics and that's all been taken away from them. They're just there to perform, which is a shame. Yes, that is a shame. And so we've talked about the pressure on the ones expected to win gold. I do have to say for this Olympic Games, there is one race, a couple of races that I've watched and you know where I'm going with this. And we have to give a huge shout out to Alaska's own Lydia Jacoby. Did I say her last name? I think it's Jacoby, but I don't know. One of us is right. One of us is wrong. <laughs> I think you're right. I You're right because that's the way it was um, pronounced by everybody else. But I have a speaking problem. So I I (laughs) said it wrong, but only 17 years old from Seward, Alaska. She won the gold in the hundred meter breaststroke. Yeah, that's what it was. And the silver in the the medley relay. I know. And it's like someone was thinking when they had the camera rolling and they were recording Seward, Alaska's high school where all of the kids had gathered to watch the race and they had this watch party. I mean, it's like, because that was so cool. It's just one of those things that you can't replicate and in the moment, so exciting. And if you've ever been to Seward, Alaska, you know, it's a tight knit community. It's a really small community. You know, I would say it's a village and, you know, to think about what she accomplished It's just so incredible. Right. And there's always that six degrees of separation. As you said, it's a small town, a small place. Everybody knows everybody within at least six degrees of separation. So that was really exciting. And my favorite part is when she finished and she looked up and that moment she saw it and just the expression on her face was like amazing. Who would have thought it? It's so cool that she won. Yeah, so much pride in that moment in her and in our state and our country. So I had to share that because that was really exciting. And that was one moment I did. I know. And that's worth sharing because that's probably one of the highlights of the Olympics this year. Truly. The girl from Arizona in gymnastics won a gold medal in her floor routine in the individual competitions last night and it was on the news this morning. So that was kind of fun too here in in Arizona to see because she was the alternate that took Simone Biles' place when Simone backed out and she ended up winning the gold. So I haven't seen the routine yet, but it was pretty exciting. That is so exciting. I mean, all these people living their dreams, getting to the Olympics and then coming out so successful, like just have to be so excited for them. I know. So my question, I have a couple of questions for you. So if you were going to compete in an Olympic competition, what sport would you want to compete in winter or summer? What would you want to be a competitor in? Assuming that you had the talent, not that you don't, but assuming you had the talent to compete. If you just picked any sport, which would it be? Oh, wow. If I could compete, I feel like Miss America right now. I, we're president. No. Okay. If I could compete in either of the games, if it was Winter Olympics, it would probably be ice skating. And if it was Summer Olympics, and I don't even know if they have it anymore, synchronized swimming. They do. I was just watching it this morning. Synchronized. It was on at some obscure hour. I woke up at like 530 in the morning and the Olympics were on and they were doing synchronized swimming. And I love synchronized swimming. I took a class in synchronized swimming. I was terrible at it. And I always thought I was going to drown because I was so bad at it. But in my years and years of swimming lessons, synchronized swimming was one of the classes I took. That is a fact I did not know about you. That I'm a- it's really kind of <laughs> cool that you would try that. That's out of your comfort zone. Well, you know, growing up, it was really important to my mom that all of us kids had swimming lessons because she had this great fear of 
one of us kids drowning because we were always at the lake. We were always in the water in the summer and she just wanted us to be able to swim. So I actually took swimming lessons, which I hated (laughs) until I got good enough to not hate it. But um, from I think first grade until I passed my lifesavers certificate, I became a certified life lifeguard when I was probably, was before I moved to Alaska. So I must've been about 15 when I got that. But in the midst of all of that, one of my friends also took swimming lessons, but she was taking synchronized swimming. So I took the class with her. She was really good. I kept you know, almost drowning. <laughs> so I only lasted one one session of synchronized swimming because I was so bad at it. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as far as swimming with you. My dad was a lifeguard. And so it was important to him that we all learn to swim. And so he spent hours with us in the pool swimming and doing all of that as younger kids. And then when we moved to Colorado, there was a neighborhood swim team. And of course, my sister kicked ass in it. She was super fast, super good at everything. And I was like the Green Lantern in all my races. I was so slow, but I did it. I was on swim team. Good for you. But I wasn't very fast. Yeah, see, I would have never been good enough to compete in swimming. And I hate it. I still don't really like to get wet. I'll get in the pool if it's over 90 degrees and I'm really hot. I'll wade in the pool. I'll sit and soak in a pool, but I don't like to swim, never have. So pool is swimming would not be a sport I would compete in if I were. Right. And I, I didn't love it. I didn't love it, but it was good exercise and somebody had to come in last. So I, I just took that on. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't always last, but it felt like it, like, especially when you looked at my sister who was so quick and winning everything. Which reminds me, can I just go off topic a little bit here? Of course. So the other day, you know, the kids have been in town. They all have boxes here they have to go through. And so Colton was going through his box and he was pulling out all of his trophies from his younger years. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So he uh, looks at me, he goes, you know, mom, I know I played soccer and I know I played hockey but I don't want to keep all these participation trophies. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, that's Rob coming out in your mouth right now. Because Rob always would say when they were younger, they're participation trophies. Do we have to keep them? Colton never heard it, but that was his response the other day when he was like cleaning everything out. And I'm like, okay, no, you can throw them away. (laughs) Interesting. I wonder if my kids still have their participation trophies. That's a really good question. That's interesting. So I just wanted to share that um, before we moved on, because you asked me what my sport would be, winter, summer. What would your sports be if you could compete? Well, I think I would definitely choose ice dancing in the ice skating arena because the oh, hell yeah. because the jumps and the twists and the turns of regular ice skating would be way too terrifying for me. But I think I could do the ice dancing where they don't have, a, you know, they have really strict rules on what kind of moves you can make. And I just think it's such a beautiful sport. And so graceful. I was thinking about this question earlier today, and I was remembering back to when my dad and mom, I know it was my dad, got me tickets to Holiday on Ice, which was an ice show. And I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And that had to have been one of the highlights of my life was when I got to go see Holiday on Ice because I just loved it so much. And if I could ice skate, I would ice skate. So do you consider yourself an athlete or coordinated enough to be an athlete? Oh, so funny you should ask that question because Earlier again, when you were talking about the Olympics, I'm like, I won't have much to contribute. And then we were talking about sports and I'm like, yeah, I don't consider myself a wonderful athlete. I was very good at jump rope. And I was very <laughs> was... good at roller skating. I was too. <laughs> I loved to jump rope and I used to love to roller skate. And when you were on those roller skates, <laughs> did you not think you were hot stuff? Because 
I actually did think I was hot stuff. Oh, absolutely. And it's because when growing up, when I was really young, we lived, you know, my dad was a pastor. So we lived in the parsonage of the church that my dad was a pastor, which is the house that they provide the pastors. And it was a huge house and it had this huge unfinished basement with a concrete floor. And my mom used to send us down to the basement to play. And one of our favorite things to do is put on a roller skates and we'd go around in circles roller skating on this concrete floor in our basement for hours. And so I felt like I was a really good roller skater because I did it endlessly in the basement of our house in Indiana. So then when it when I hit junior high and the big thing was to go to a roller skating party at school, I was like, oh, I am so good at this. And so, yeah, I always felt like I was, I looked really good on roller skates. I always thought that I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I didn't, but I always thought no, I I'm did. I'm sure you did. And I thought I did too. I could go frontwards, backwards. I could do turns. I could do like little jumps, like not, oh. not off, <laughs> off anything high, but like if I wanted to just do a little jump, I could. And then you always did the hokey pokey out on the, oh, yeah. the skating rink. So yeah, I thought I was really cool. And it's so funny because a couple of years ago, well, it's probably 10 years ago now, thinking about how old my boys are, but we would take the kids to the roller rink here, skate land. And, um, we were out there one day and I had skates on. I go out a little bit, but I'm like, gosh, I'm a little old. I feel a little stupid out there. But there was one guy who was older than me who did not feel stupid. And he was reliving the 70s and 80s. <laughs> and he was skating and going backwards. And he still thought he was hot stuff. And I was like, good for you. I'm not getting out there and doing that. Though. Even though I could. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think I... Okay, because this brings me to another conversation. Although... When you said hokey pokey, it's like, boy, that took me back to the 70s as well. And the other song that was so fun to roller skate to was Rock and Robin. Do you remember that? Rock and Robin? Or were you oh, too? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say, oh, God, you were too young for that. I had a panic moment like, oh, my God, she doesn't know Rock and Robin. <laughs> but that was just so much fun. But I was like that with gymnastics too, because to this day, I'm happy to say I am very flexible. You know, I used to be able to do the splits. I was a, I could do cartwheels, I could do backflips and roundoffs and you know, the basic gymnastic things that people do. And I used to do it in the living room of my house in Indiana all the time. I'd stand on my head, I'd do handstands, you know, I loved it. I did it all the time. And that would be something I would do if I could in the Olympics, if I was good enough. But then I was about, I don't know, this is probably 20 years ago, thinking I was still 15 and thought I could do a round off. <laughs> I went and did it. And I think I almost broke my ankle because it's like, ooh, this body doesn't quite move the way it did when I was young. And so I must have been a little older. I had to have been at least in my 30s when I tried that. And so I've never again done it, but I used to do cartwheels across my yard. That's, that's how I would play outside. I would just do cartwheels. Well, I'm happy to say you may get a chance to revisit that because I believe one night when we're out having a really good time and indulging in the wine, <laughs> I'm going to say, Suzanne, show me a round off and you're going to do it. I won't do it because I think that's, pre I'm pretty sure that's how it happened when I almost broke my ankle. And I have never been in so much pain in my entire life. And I said to myself, you will never attempt this again, ever. Okay. Well, maybe what I'll say is, Suzanne, do a somersault. <laughs> a somersault I could do. Yeah. And then you'd probably say, I'll do one if Rob does one. And then you guys will be doing somersaults <laughs> in the middle of the road or wherever it is. I probably would get too dizzy. It would probably make me throw up because... <laughs> I, my my balance and my equilibrium isn't what it used to be. Yeah. And I'm really, you were happy to say, but I am actually sad to say, because I have the opposite problem. I have never been an overly flexible person. And yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's bad now. The other day I was helping Colton put together a TV stand. And so I had to get down, you know, and sit on my knees. I'm like, okay, 
I need to stretch because this is super, super uncomfortable. And it was just sitting. (laughs) Well, and I used to be able to do that too, just sitting or sitting on my knees. And yeah, things get pretty tight pretty quickly now. But relatively speaking, like I was thinking the other day, I mean, I can still touch my toes. I can still touch the floor when from a standing position, you know, palms down. I can still do some things that I don't think Jeff has ever been able to do because he just doesn't have the flexibility. Yeah, I think Rob has more flexibility than I do. So it's reversed in our house. So in general, did I already ask this question? In general, are you athletic? Uh, get another pregnant pause there because I'm trying to think of a witty way to answer this question, <laughs> but the answer is just no. No, I'm not athletic. I can dance okay. Yes, you can. You are a great dancer. And I love to walk and hiking is not so bad, but that's about where I leave it. Like even running, sometimes I will run, like run, walk, do inter- intervals. I get so bored with the like, Yeah. But you're good at it. You just don't see because this is how I would describe myself. It's like I am generally athletic. I just don't like athletics. So I could play basketball if I enjoyed playing basketball, but I don't enjoy playing basketball. I could maybe golf. I'm not a great golfer, but I think that's my eye-hand coordination isn't that great, but I don't really enjoy it. And that's where I run into my problem is I would love to have the passion for it because if you have the passion for it, you could be really good at it if you have the skill. Right. And I will say I do or I did because there hasn't been much time recently to practice it, but I do have really good hand-eye coordination and it does surprise people sometimes because they look at me and my build is a little athletic when I'm in you know good shape and not carrying extra COVID, <laughs> but that's another subject. <laughs> yeah, but generally, because I have broad shoulders, uh, a big back, like a big back. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a big back. I have broad shoulders and um, just the way Like it would be tense. Someone has called me athletic before. I have never looked at myself and said that, but someone has said, you have an athletic build. I'll go with it because in the moment it made me happy. Yeah. People have often described me as having an athletic build. And I have never taken that as a compliment because I've always said that's just people's way of telling me I'm big or I'm not petite. And what I wouldn't give at some point in my lifetime for someone to look at me and say, you're so petite, you're so little, you're so tiny. And isn't that interesting? Because it's all a matter of perspective. When they told me that I had an athletic build, I took it as I look strong. Yeah. That's how I took it. I didn't take it as, I I know I'm not petite, you know, I'm five, six and a half. I got to put in that half an inch because it feels really important. (laughs) Um, But I, I knew I would never be you know, super lean and super petite, but I was happy with the athletic build. Oh, it was better than like you're chubby. (laughs) You look like a Care Bear or something (laughs) like that. But you know, I was that person though. I, I mean, my whole life, I've just, I've just accepted it about my build, but I have that solid German structure. You know, I have dense bones, heavy bones. I have thick, thick thighs. I have broad shoulders and a broad back. I have huge feet. And, you know, my whole build is just that solid German. And there are so many times in my life where I wish I could have been that tiny little person that I always saw, you know, the girls that fit into their 501 jeans, you know, perfectly. And I was like, nah, it's never going to work for me. But yeah, it's a shame. Did you ever wear jeans or have we had that discussion before? Because <laughs> I don't picture you in jeans. I used to wear jeans only out of peer pressure. And my sister would remember this. Right after Jeff and I were married, I had a pair of size six Pepe jeans was the brand. And I think I wore those jeans until they fell off of me. I wore them every day forever. And I loved those jeans. And it's the only pair of jeans I ever loved. I had a pair of Gap jeans when the kids were in high school that I also 
found comfortable enough to wear, but it's because I worked at the Gap and at least one day a week, you had to wear jeans when you worked at the Gap because you had to wear Gap jeans. And I did have a pair of Gap jeans that I loved, but no, I am not a jeans person. Yeah. And I like jeans, especially when they're like skinny jeans. I like those. Yeah. Or not I, skinny jeans. I'm sorry. Not skinny jeans. Thanks jeans. The one oh. that expands. Stretchable <laughs> jeans. Yes. That's what it is. Not skinny jeans. Yeah. I had a pair of skinny jeans once too that I kind of wore for a while, but no, I just don't find them comfortable. I just, and it's because of my thick thighs. I have thick thighs and it's like jeans are never comfortable if they're too tight. And this is a problem growing up in all of my pants because I have a small waist compared to the size of my thighs. So if you'd get clothes that fit you in the thighs, they'd be way too big in the waist. And I hated that. I understand that. And I was just sitting here listening to us talk about jeans and um, think about like, what it means to have an athletic build or what we were talking about. So I'm going to circle back there real quick. And how funny is it that I am still blaming my little bit of extra weight that I'm carrying right now on COVID. It could just be because I'm getting older and my metabolism (laughs) is slowing down and I like wine and I like food. And you know what? Here's what I predict is going to happen because it kind of happened to me because you look great. You should know that you look fantastic. And at some point, You have to just accept how you look today and embrace it and be happy with it and enjoy that wine and enjoy the food. Because by this time in our lives, by our age, and I'm putting us, I'm lumping us in the same decade now because I can, and I don't have a lot of time to do that because soon I'll be out of our (laughs) decade. But I'm just saying by this time in our lives, we know good eating habits. We know how to pick healthy choices. We know serving sizes. We know how much we can eat and how much we, when we need to stop. And so, you know what? Those are embedded in our brain. And so we are naturally going to stop when we need to and readjust when we have to, but we need to enjoy what we are putting in our mouths and in our bodies. And it's like, by God, the thing I enjoy most is my glass of wine. So I'm going to drink wine. And if it's, it's probably why I'm not one of those petite, skinny little things that run around, but I'm going to drink my wine because I enjoy it. And it's like, life is way too short not to enjoy the things you're putting into your body. Wow. I know. Suzanne moment. (laughs) Yay, Suzanne and the sensitivity. Is that sensitivity? I don't think that's sensitivity. Uh, I think that's not sensitivity. Maybe Good advice. Well, yeah. Something good to remember. Yeah, because it's like, okay, perfect example is someone with, this was a long time ago, someone was preaching the greatness of eating kale. And I tried kale. I hate kale. I hate kale. I hate it. So why, even if it's the best food on the planet for me to eat for my body, it's like, why would I ingest it? Because I don't like it. It tastes Terrible. And it reminds me of George Bush when he was president, or no, was it Ronald Reagan? Which one didn't like broccoli? One of them didn't like broccoli. And he's like, I don't have to eat broccoli if I don't like it. There are other foods I can get the same nutrients from. Don't make me eat broccoli. And that resonated with me because it's like, why would you put something in your body that you don't enjoy? It's crazy. I am pretty passionate about it, as you can tell. Yeah. So if I'm going to eat broccoli, I hate broccoli also, better have cheese on it. <laughs> so kind of. Yeah. Well, good point. But I'm acting a healthy yeah, factor. But, see, but in my opinion, if I don't like broccoli, I'm not going to eat it. I period. I'm not going to cover it with some saucy. I don't like sauce anyway, but I'm not going to cover it in some cheesy sauce to try to get the vitamins out of the broccoli. It's like, no, I will go find those vitamins from another source and my body will do just fine without broccoli in it if I don't like broccoli. So why eat it? Even though broccoli probably doesn't have any calories in it and it probably fills you up, there are a lot of good attributes to broccoli, but if I don't like it, I'm not going to eat it. It's like, it's a waste. So as we're talking about this, I am going back to a parenting moment when Jimmy was like, he wasn't very old. He was like five or six. And we had had, 
dinner and um, he didn't want to eat his salad. And I would have been just like, okay, it's fine. You know, you ate, you know, take a bite, you ate the rest of your food. And Rob was not having it that night. He's like, you need to sit here for a little while until you can eat some of that salad. And so, of course, you know, I'm like, oh, I hate this part of parenting. It's so probably does need the nutrients. <laughs> so I'm standing in the kitchen kind of behind him listening to him. And he's got his fork in one hand with a piece of salad on it. He's got his hand on his other hand on his face and he's talking to the salad. And he's like, <laughs> I hope this never happens to me again. I don't like you. And I hope it never happens to me again. And he's talking to the salad. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. That is so sweet. Well, that's how I feel. And, and just for the record, because my mom and dad always made me try something because I was a really picky eater growing up. And my mom would always say, you have to take at least one bite. You have to at least try it. And I always thought that I would look at food and it's like, I'm never tasting you again because I hate you. I would say that to food. So I can really appreciate that. Jimmy talked to his food because I do that too. Yeah. I always made my kids try food. And I think we've talked about this before because I had no thank you foods. So if they tried it, if it was something I had at dinner and they tried it, they could say no thank you. And then they could pick a substitute and they each had a substitute food that they could pick. It was usually one food that they could pick as their no thank you food. So, because I didn't like Brilliant. the word, I didn't like the word yuck. I didn't. So anyway, I was going to say, I didn't like yuck was one of my bad words in our house. You could never say yuck. So they had to say no, thank you. And that's how we came up with no, thank you foods because they couldn't say yuck. Yeah. Well, no, thank you sounds much more polite than yuck or that's going to make me barf. <laughs> right. Right. You can't describe food that way. <laughs> Which my kids use that last one a, while, a couple times. Barf. Yeah. Or I think the comment was, I'd rather eat vomit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So as usual, we have gotten way off topic. We were talking sports. We were talking Olympics. We can circle back around to that subject before we have to go, or we can just wrap it up. So Suzanne, no, I think I am good to close this episode out because there's actually one or two other things, if I can remember them, that I wanted to share before we close this episode out. So do you have anything else about the Olympics that you would like to share or say before we move on to our closing? No, I think that I've said everything I want to say. Obviously, when I get off of one of my tangents about something totally different, I'm pretty much <laughs> pretty much done with the topic at hand. So, so we can move on and wrap things up. Right. And to be perfectly honest, tangent things are more interesting to me than <laughs> the Olympics sports, <laughs> the Olympics. Yeah. No, we need to have a whole episode on sports coming up once football season starts, because I don't know about you, but I become a sports widow. Oh, yes. And our whole life is revolving around when the next football game is. And it doesn't matter if it's college, NFL, or I don't know, random. <laughs> it's just, I know I get it. Yeah. So anyway, well, if you don't have anything else to say, I just wanted to add that um, Jimmy and Eva, of course, were in town this weekend because they had their Anchorage wedding reception, which was amazing and fun. And yeah, it came together really nice. But Jimmy and Eva, they both listen to our podcast. And Jimmy's suggestion to me is that we need a day when the guys take over the mics. And on that day, they are going to call the episode Whiskey Required. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yes. And I'm like, really, Jimmy? And he's like, yeah, I think it's a wonderful idea. So Whiskey Required is now trademarked by Jimmy Millen. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, he, he was really funny in suggesting that him and his dad take over the mics for an episode. And I'm like, I don't even know what you would talk about, but I'm sure it would be funny. Yeah. I mean, so are you invited at all to be part of that podcast or they just are going to run with it and you're not going to? Yeah, it didn't sound like I was invited. It sounded like they wanted the mics to do their own thing. Okay, well, we will. It's never going to happen. I don't ever let up <laughs> on control that much, but I thought it was brilliant. So I may have to have Jimmy as a guest. And we did try to have Rob and your husband, Jeff, as a guest. But 
it didn't go so well when recording. No, it didn't. I and it we'll have to try that again at some point. We will have to try it. And I think it has to be more of an impromptu thing because Rob is naturally funny, but when he tries to think about it, it loses its wit a little bit. So it becomes more staged or scripted, but not scripted. That's not the right word. It just becomes more, I can't think of the right word, but anyhow, again, off subject, but I wanted to share that Whiskey Required was a recommendation by one of our listeners who also happens to be one of our sons. So I love it. I think that'll be great. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good place to finish up the episode. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, other than it's um, good talking to you again, as always. And I always think it's amazing to me that we can come up with an hour worth of conversation when we really have nothing to talk about. Right. It's because we're good at the tangents. We're good at going off. And you know, another another good episode would be just unleash. Like just say what comes to mind, no editing, and just say it like it is and not worry about how it sounds to other people or if we hurt feelings. Oh, oh God, that is scary. I mean I know it's a scary thought. (laughs) I don't think I could ever do that. I I could do it. I'll just read. But then you'd be like, oh, crap, what was I thinking? Delete it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can't share that out there. I can't put that out into the universe. Yeah. But unleashed. I like that idea. We may, that may have to be sooner rather than later. We'll put some perimeters on it. Maybe. Yes. Maybe. Well, I guess with all that shared, I am not going to go watch the Olympics, but I might have a glass of champagne, no orange juice. So cheers, Suzanne. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Orange Juice Optional. What many of you wouldn't know is that this podcast has been a shared vision of ours for many years. And knowing what we know now, I can't believe we've waited so long to make our vision a reality. Right? I really think the hesitation on our part came from all the unknowns of podcasting. The biggest unknown being the toughest one. Where do we begin? That's when we found Podigy and Riley. And you know, if we had Godsend music, I'd cue it right now. Riley is a know-everything-about-podcasting kind of guy, and the best part for us was that he was so nice and down-to-earth about everything. And by everything, I mean he answered so many questions, he gave so much reassurance, and he offered advice on things we hadn't even considered. Initially, Podigy helped us choose our recording equipment, find our music, create our artwork, and set up our templates for recording. And seriously, how many Zoom calls did setting up the templates take? Probably too many to count because we are a technology challenge. But the best part of each one of those calls was the reassuring voice on the other end. I love that about Podigy. Now that our podcast setup is complete and things are running a bit smoother, knock on wood, Podigy is going to edit each upcoming episode, do our show notes, and get our show out there for the listeners. Their help takes so much off our plate that all we really need to worry about is our friendship, next week's topic, and if it's an orange juice needed kind of day. So if you're interested in podcasting, please don't let the unknown stop you. Please check out Riley at podigy.co. That's P-O-D-I-G-Y dot C-O. They have packages available based on each show's individual needs. Thanks again, Podigy. Our next toast is for you. Cheers. Cheers.